You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. has really come to know the practical truths of the gospel, such as circumcision is just a sign and true circumcision is circumcision of the heart. He writes in Colossians, you don't have to be judged by a religious festival according to the Old Testament law of Moses, Sabbath day. And so he knows these things, but his Jewish brothers here, these leaders in Jerusalem, it's hard to let go of some of the things you've been practicing and believed in for years. Giving up traditions is really hard. It's something that's ingrained in us. It's what we know and what we find comfort in. And this is one of the issues that the Jews faced in this new culture of Christian living. What were they supposed to do with the religious traditions that they've been practicing all their lives? Today, Pastor Danny will explain why it was important for followers of Christ to examine and potentially change their way of thinking, and how the decisions they end up making have an impact on the Apostle Paul and his ministry. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts chapter 21 with today's edition of The Living Word. chapter 20, Paul had met with the Ephesian elders. He had said to them that this would be the last time they would see his face again. He's talking about in this life. That really affected them emotionally. And when you get to the end of the chapter 20, chapter 20, verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Chapter 21, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to coast. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Notice this next statement. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, why would they do that? Because the same thing the Holy Spirit is communicating with Paul, he's communicating now to some of these disciples. You go back to chapter 20, verse 22, Paul says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So the Holy Spirit now speaking to these disciples, but when they understand, they try to urge Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Verse five, when it was time to leave, 
We left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued on our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. Who are the seven? The seven original deacons of the early church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. One of them, Stephen, became the first martyr of the church. I believe God used his martyrdom to be a powerful witness in the life of a young man named Saul of Tarsus who became the apostle Paul. Then you have Philip who went on from his deacon position to become an evangelist. He has four virgin unmarried daughters and they prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14 says that he who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And at this particular time, probably nobody else on the planet needs more strengthening, encouragement, and comfort than the Apostle Paul because of where he's headed. He's headed for trouble, more trouble. And so no doubt, these four daughters of Philip ministered to Paul. Verse 10, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. This is the same prophet who in Acts chapter 11 predicted a coming famine that actually did come. And he comes now from Judea. Uh, Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and he said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Another confirmation. You wonder if God sent Agabus all the way here just to give Paul this message. Verse 12, when we heard this, we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. This is Luke, the one penning the book of Acts, fellow ministry associate, personal friend of the apostle Paul. These are other disciples. These are people who love Paul. They pleaded with him. Some of them are crying. They're so emotional. Look at verse 13. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And the Lord's will was done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. Next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. And then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law, the law of Moses. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. So it's a Nazarite vow according to the law of Moses. Then everyone will know there's no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. 
As for the Gentile believers, we've written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. That was Acts chapter 15 after the council met to discuss whether you needed to be circumcised to be saved. Paul has really come to know the practical truths of the gospel, such as circumcision is just a sign and true circumcision is circumcision of the heart. He writes in Colossians, you don't have to be judged by a religious festival according to the Old Testament law of Moses, Sabbath day. And so he knows these things, but his Jewish brothers here, these leaders in Jerusalem, it's hard to let go of some of the things you've been practicing and believed in for years. So what will Paul do? in regard to their suggestion. Because their suggestion is really kind of religious politics to keep the peace. So the next day, Paul took the men, purified himself along with them. So in order to keep the peace, Paul, though he knows the practical truths of the gospel, he does what they say. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. And so these leaders are pleased that Paul has agreed to do this, but, but, it doesn't work. Verse 27, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law, the law of Moses, and this place, the temple. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. Notice verse 29. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian, an uncircumcised Gentile, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now, Paul did not, but they assumed he had. So religious politics doesn't work. Verse 30, the whole city was aroused. People came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. In other words, they're shutting Paul in because they're going to deal with him. While they were trying to kill him, they're beating him. They want to beat him to death. News reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers, ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. I'm hearing the words of Agabus the prophet. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing, some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. And the crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Same thing they shouted about Jesus. And so all the things the Holy Spirit has been warning Paul of, all the things the Holy Spirit has communicated to the disciples who love Paul and tried to deter him from going to Jerusalem. And now what the prophetic word of Agabus has been, these things are now beginning to come true. And when word of the unfolding of events that happened to the Apostle Paul in Jerusalem, when word gets back to those who have tried to dissuade him from going, there's some mixed emotions. They love Paul, so there's grief and there's deep concern. But you no doubt there's some of them thinking, he's so stubborn. Why wouldn't he listen to us? 
If he'd just listened to us, none of these things would have ever happened if he'd just listened. And these are fellow disciples, ministry associates, close friends. But Paul, knowing God's will for his life, would not be dissuaded. He would not be deterred. Listen very carefully. Sometimes we're wrong in trying to dissuade someone from a path, a Christian from a path that we feel and maybe we're certain will bring suffering to their life, perhaps to their family, maybe even death. Sometimes we're wrong. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, be raised to life. But they never got the being raised to life. All they heard is the suffering and the death. That's what they heard. Peter took him aside. Don't you love Peter? Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. He's rebuking Jesus. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, you could have heard a pin drop among the disciples when Jesus spoke those words to Peter. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter's not the only one that looked to dissuade Jesus from a path of potential death. John's gospel, chapter 11, verse 6. So when he, Jesus, learned, heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? What they're saying is, that's not a good idea. Not only for Jesus' sake, but for their sake, because they're his followers. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. What does that mean? If we walk in the light as he is in the light. Someone walking in the light is walking in the will of God. Someone not walking in the light is not walking in the will of God. And you know what happens for someone not walking in the will of God? They stumble. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. They say, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And then he finally tells them, verse 14, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then Thomas, verse 16, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And he says it, you have to believe, kind of sarcastically. He's not excited. He's not approving of the decision to go back to Judea. Because they tried to kill Jesus, and they say, well, if you go back there, they're going to try to kill you again. <laughs> I completely understand I'm a parent. I, com I completely understand, and, but I don't agree. I understand when you don't want your child to go on that cross-cultural mission trip, especially to that country. I mean, at the very least, they're going to get sick. And God forbid, they come back off that cross-cultural mission trip and God actually speaks to them and calls them now to go to that country for the rest of their life and take your grandkids. I understand. 
God gave me this in the middle of the night. It's for me, but I pass it on to you. They may get sick. They may suffer. And yes, they may die. And I put this next in bold italic. God gave me this. But to die for the cause of Christ and in the will of God is to live. And to live for only the comforts and pleasures of this world outside of the will of God is to die. One more time, back to Matthew 16, after Jesus so strongly rebukes Peter, the next verse, verse 24, listen to what it says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, after he rebuked Peter, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. If you believe what Jesus said, it means that until you're all in for Jesus Christ, you've never really begun to live. Unless you've totally committed your life to Jesus and say, Lord, I'll, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I want your will for my life, no matter what the cost. If you've never been all in for Christ, you've never really lived. Practical instructions in 1 Timothy about several things. One of them has to do with widows. I want to pull one statement out. The widow who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she lives. Let me read you Ephesians chapter 2, just the opening verses. Ephesians chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The Spirit telling Paul what's going to happen to him. The Spirit telling the other disciples, hey, what's, this is what's going to happen to Paul. Bad things. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Being led by the Spirit. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord as, so as to instruct them? But we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? By the Holy Spirit. So if someone without the Spirit, an unbeliever, can't understand our decisions in following Jesus, such as, you know, taking the kids and going to another country, if that's the will of God for my life. And somebody without the Spirit looks at that and goes, are you crazy? They don't understand that. But sometimes even those who have the Spirit don't get it. And so if those who have the Spirit sometimes don't get it, we shouldn't expect anybody who doesn't have the Spirit to understand our decisions, following Jesus. Luke 9, 51, here's what it says. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he came from heaven, he's going back to heaven. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, that's the cross, right? He resolutely, it's a strong Greek word, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he will not let Peter or any other apostle or anybody else deter him because he's all in for God's will for his life. The Father's plan laid out before the beginning of the world. 
And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he made the final decision as he sweat great drops of blood. And he got a, nobody took his life. He laid it down. Now I want to share something that just, it, it's just so cool. It, it, it's so cool. If you don't think it's cool, you're not cool. It's just so cool. Once you go all in for Jesus Christ, nobody can touch you apart from the Father's will. It, I don't know how God does it. It's such a great mystery. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. Watch what happens back in our, in our study, Acts. Watch what happens as God uses human decision and free will, this mob and the, the Jewish leaders, and somehow, I don't know how he does it, he works it out without violating their will to fulfill his perfect plan in and through Paul's life. Let me summarize a bit. Chapter 21, verse 37 Paul asked permission from the Roman commander in the next few verses to speak to the crowd. He speaks to them in Aramaic, and uh, they listen up because they're surprised he speaks Aramaic. And they listen until chapter 22, uh, verse 21. Then the Lord said to me, Paul says, go, I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. Well, they hate the Gentiles. They didn't like that. So verse 22 of chapter 22, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this, and then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. These guys hate him so much. You get to chapter 23, and a group of them come to the Jewish leadership, and they say, we've made a vow, and we're not going to eat again until we fulfill the vow. We're going to kill Paul. And the Jewish leaders are happy about that, especially somebody else is going to do it. Plan is the next morning, they're going to ambush him. And just by chance, by chance, Paul's nephew hears about it, the plot to kill his uncle. He goes and he tells Uncle Paul. Uncle Paul says, go tell the Roman commander. And he goes and tells the Roman commander. Chapter 23, verse 22, the commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you've reported this to me. And then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. That's a lot of military might. To go to Caesarea at nine tonight under the cover of darkness. Provide horses for Paul, not just one horse. Make sure he's always got a fresh one. So that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. Did you hear that last line? So that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. God said, when Paul got saved, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings, their rulers, including the likes of Governor Felix. Let me read it one more time. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. If this was happening in our culture in America, Paul would be heavily guarded, a military escort, and his ride, his ride, a government-issued SUV bulletproof. <laughs> I just want to tell you again, that's so cool. That's just so cool. I don't know how you do it, but he does. In the will of God, Paul will stand before Felix and share the gospel. He will stand before Governor Festus and share the gospel. He will stand before Herod Agrippa and he will share the gospel. And ultimately, he would stand before Caesar himself and he would share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And later, he would write things like this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. 
As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. We're so glad that you joined us for today's edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience as we study the book of Acts. If you'd like to hear today's message again or more from Pastor Danny, visit ccfstpete.church. You're also invited to join our Bible reading plan. Just look under the resources tab on our website for more information. As you make your way through the Bible, you might be surprised how something hits your heart exactly where you're at. God's Word has a way of doing that, and it's unmistakably God's way of speaking to you. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment and ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? You never know how someone might be impacted by hearing about God over the radio, even if they weren't intending to. Pray that listeners would be open to hearing the gospel message. Pray also that we would continue to seek God's will for this program in teaching the Word and reaching the world. One additional thing that we'd ask you to pray about is if God would be leading you to support the Living Word financially. If so, you can find a way to do that through our website, ccfstpete.church. Just click on the Give tab. We're so grateful for your support. Thanks for praying, giving, and listening here on The Living Word.